Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Church London catch-up service. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a passion to present Jesus to London and would love for you to be part of the adventure. So why not say hello to us by visiting our website manualchurchlondon.org so we can get back to you and say a bit more of a personal hello. Welcome to church and uh, if you want to just grab your seats. My name is Ben and for those of you that don't know, one of the, the leaders here at Emmanuel Church. A couple of things from the top. First of all, I'm feeling a bit under the weather and... Uh, has anyone got one of those really tiny violins that we can play for me? That's the first thing I wanted to say. Second thing was a big congratulations to South Africa. I'm humble enough just to say, well done. We don't boo, we're in church. We cheer one another on. South Africa, well done. Well done. Um, there was four things. What was the third? Oh, third thing today. I am officially, and my wife, parents of a teenager. Crazy. Little Danny's out in youth now, but he was serving at the back a little bit earlier. So happy birthday, Danny. And fourth thing is Tottenham at top of the league. Right, let's get on with it. Tottenham fan, I know, right? Guys, if you are new to Emmanuel, we are currently looking at the book of Jonah, and um, it's an epic story. Uh, I'm sure you will have come across it in some way, shape, or form. The story of a man that runs away from God after being invited by God to go to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh was a, a city pretty much like the Wild West and some. It was a horrible place full of pretty much horrible people. Uh, and yet God, in his mercy and grace, wanted to save this great city and went to one of his prophets, one of his men who had a, a voice that was being used on his behalf. And he asked him to go to Nineveh to speak the truth to them. And, uh, and Jonah did a runner. He ran in the opposite direction. And um, if you were here last week, I don't really know how to compete with that. Uh, and it was an amazing moment with Gaz and George reading the story and Katie uh, preached through chapter two. And we're actually going to be looking at chapter two again, not because last week was like, you know, void or anything like that. I'm just going to come from a slightly different angle. Um, and, and the story really that I just want us to, to, to remember where we're at right now uh, is that Jonah is in a fish. So at the end of chapter 1, verse 17, it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of this fish three days and three nights. Remind you of anything else that happened in the Bible that was significant for three days. Some of you are going, yeah, I know it. I know the answer. New Testament, it was Jesus. He died. Went to the tomb for three days. And um, what's happened is that... The, Basically, God, when Jonah running away, God has hurled a storm at the boat that Jonah was on. And the sailors who didn't know God uh, end up uh, throwing Jonah overboard because Jonah said, look, it's me. I'm the reason that this storm is here. And Jonah goes into the sea and straight away the Lord appoints this great fish. So this is the moment in the story. And as we read through chapter two, the end of chapter two is a bit of a pivotal moment for us uh, in this story. I don't remember, I don't remember, I don't know if you remember in the first week, I talked about the parallels to another story that we find in the Bible. And I'll come to that in just a moment. This is a moment where we're going to turn in the story of Jonah. We're going to see Jonah's heart not only turn towards Nineveh, but more importantly, his heart is going to turn back towards God. But not before he reaches some quite serious ramifications for the way that he has behaved. 
How many of you here today know that sometimes we have to watch friends, family, loved ones go deeper and deeper and deeper into self-destruct before they come to a place of true repentance and change? How many of you here know what it's like to watch someone when you're talking to them, maybe around the subject of alcohol or drugs or any number of different things, when they keep saying that they want to change but they can't get out? And you watch them go on this cycle of destruction, deeper and deeper and deeper, down and down and down and down. And there's that phrase, isn't there, that sometimes we would use, that they need to hit rock bottom before they're going to come up. Well, how many of you know that that's a kingdom principle? That sometimes, actually, it's the will of God that we go down to the depths because it's down in the depths that we find the reality and the magnitude of his grace. Sometimes things have to die in order to have life. Anyone experienced that with loved ones? How many of us have experienced that ourselves? How many of us know what it's like to lose everything, to hit rock bottom, to have a moment where we get found out in such a way where you come to terms with the fact, I literally might lose everything. Or maybe you make a decision and you think, this is literally my life on the line, my marriage is on the line, my children are on the line because of a foolish decision that we've made. How many of us know what it's like to hit rock bottom? Well, I want to say this to you, that if you do know what it's like to hit rock bottom, you are in good company. Because the Bible is filled with men and women that hit rock bottom. But our God, our wonderful God, gracious God is in the business of restoration. He's in the business of bringing life to those that are dead. He's in the business of restoring those that have gone to the depths because his grace, gracer, his grace, like we heard last week, goes deeper still. This is who our God is and this is the subject that I want us to be looking at today. Jesus, as I said earlier, tells this story in Luke 15. Two sons, many of you will know this story. It's the story of the prodigal son, a loving father. Two sons. One rejects his father, one stays with his father, but both don't understand the grace of their father. The younger one we see really a comparable in chapters one and two in Jonah. A young son that runs away from his father, is in the father's house, takes everything that he wants, and he runs in the opposite direction from his dad. The older stays and works with his dad, and we're going to explore that a little bit more in chapter three and four. He's self-sufficient. He's depending on himself, and he is outraged at the way that the father deals with the younger son when the younger son comes back, but we'll save that for another time. I want us to focus on the younger son in Luke 15. As I say, he takes the father's money, he takes his inheritance, hugely disrespectful, runs away. Now, if you've heard this story before, don't just let it sort of like go over your head. Just let it sort of sink in again. And he spends all of the father's money, everything. Jesus is telling this story. And then this moment happens in the story where a famine hits the land where the son's gone. And so there's no food in the whole land. And the son's got nothing. And so he starts working with the pigs. Now, this would have been hugely dishonoring because we're in Jewish culture, right? When Jesus is speaking, he's speaking into Jewish culture. And so pigs would be unclean. So to work with the pigs was an unclean job. Not only is he working with the pigs, but he gets to this point where he becomes jealous of the pigs' food. He wants the, the, the food that the pigs have got. He's hit rock bottom. And it's in this moment that Jesus uses this wonderful phrase. It says that he came to his senses, 
He, he reaches rock bottom when all of his resources are gone. He's got nothing left. Everybody's given up on him. Nobody will turn to him. No one will give him a handout. No one will show him charity. He's got nothing. And it's in this moment that he comes to his senses and he starts to remember his father's house. He starts to remember where he's come from. He starts to say, even the servants in my father's house would have food. And yet here I am, jealous of the food that the pigs are eating. This amazing moment where he comes to his senses, but it's the severity of his circumstances that bring him to that place. For some of us, that's the reality of where we find the grace of God. In the severe circumstances that maybe we've orchestrated because of foolish decisions, maybe just because of the brokenness of this world, we find ourselves in severe circumstances, but they cause us to come to our senses and to know God for who he really is. I've said it already. Going down is actually a kingdom principle. Sometimes through choice, we go down. Sometimes through choice, we die. We choose to die. We choose to die to a particular habit, a particular way of thinking about life, something that we're holding on to, an idol. We see it for what it is and we choose to die to it. But you know, in the love and the grace of God, sometimes we don't see it. There'll be blind spots. And so by the grace of God, because he is worth it, he helps us to go down, orchestrate circumstances to take us down but not to stay down. <laughs> we go down so that he can bring life. And this is the story in, in Luke 15 is a little bit about what's going on with Jonah in this moment. Jonah has gone down a number of times already. Actually, if you look back in chapter one, it says that Jonah went down to Joppa. It says that he goes down into the hull of the ship. Is that right? The hull? Got any sailors here? It sounds right, doesn't it? No sailors, no? I'm going to go with hull unless someone... Okay, we're going with it. It goes down into the hull of the ship. I'm just sort of taking a bit of a break. It goes down into the hull of the ship. So these are choices that he's made. He chose to go to Joppa. He chose to go to the bottom of the ship. He chose to go to sleep. He's chosen to go down. And he goes into the sea. He goes down into the sea. This is God. God's now deciding where he goes. He goes down into the belly of a fish. And, and God isn't just sort of playing around. Just, just want us to know that, that there's great purpose in the going down of Jonah. Great purpose. Because the end result is going to be not God twisting Jonah's arm to do something for him. It's going to be Jonah getting greater revelation of who his God really is and relationship with him. And it's at this moment where he goes down and down and down and down and down where we start to see Jonah pray. And this is a moment like in the book of Jonah where you're like, oh, at last, the prophet that's faced with all these trials and tribulations at last is beginning to pray. Just as a word of wisdom, if you're a Christian here today or even if you're not, starting with prayer is a good idea. Jonah probably should have got to that a little bit earlier. But here we are in chapter two and this is the prayer that he prays. So let's read this through together. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now Sheol, if, if you're sort of familiar with Sea World, it's not a name for a whale, okay? Is it Shema or Shema? 
Shamu. I think he's dead now in Florida. That was one of the killer whales at SeaWorld. That's, <laughs> you're with me. Some of you are thinking, what church have I come to? <laughs> Stay with me. He's not praying about the fish. He's not saying out of the belly of the fish. He's talking about the sea, the moment he was in the sea. He's praying and referencing, when I was thrown into the sea and I was sinking to death, Sheol, I was sinking to the cage of death, I cried out to you. He's referring from the belly of the fish, referring to a prayer that he prayed when he entered the sea. For you cast me into the deep. Okay, we're going into the depths. Into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All the waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon the holy temple. So he's saying as he's going down into the sea, he began to cry out to God. Nowhere else to go. No one else to turn to. I don't know if you've been down to the bottom of the sea recently. There's not many people there, right? Your five pound note ain't gonna help you at the bottom of the sea. You are in trouble if you find yourself at the bottom of the sea. And Jonah is crying out to the only one that he knows that might be able to save him, his God. He's calling out to the holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land, down again. He's going down, down, into the depths, down, down, down. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought me up. My life from the pit, oh Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Now, I don't know if this happened, but when my life was fainting away, it seems to sort of be implying that, that he was drowning, right? That he's sort of literally battling for life. And I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This verse here is, is often referred to by commentators as like the, the centerpiece of the Bible. It's like the, the message of the whole of Scripture. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It was in the depths of the sea that Jonah cries out, nowhere else to go, cries out to God. And then in the belly of a fish that he chooses to speak that to God, to say there is nowhere else that salvation comes from except from you. And so there's no two ways about it. When you look at this story, Jonah's decision caused him to go down, down to Joppa, down to the bottom of the ship. And yet God has allowed him to go deeper still. And God, like I've already said, he's not playing games. He's not like some sadistic being that's just trying to lord over Jonah in this kind of way. He has a deep, deep desire, a longing that Jonah would know him for who he really is. Church, do you know that the God of the Bible wants you to know him for who he really is? Do you know that? Do you really know that? Not just for everybody else, but for you. Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that his grace is sufficient for you, that he'll go to extreme lengths for you to understand and to know his grace? And you know, it really isn't sometimes until we go to the depths, till we go deeper and deeper and deeper. I'm not saying that you choose to do this, right? But you go deeper and deeper and deeper that we see our great need for God 
and his love and his mercy. When all of our resource is gone, when everything around us fades away and we're left, just us and death, there won't be any amount of physical well-being that can rescue you. There won't be any position on planet Earth that can save you. Won't be any amount of savings, any amount of money. Won't be any amount of popularity that will save you. When we're faced with death, when we're faced with judgment, there is only one place that we can truly cry out. And that is to the God of the Bible, the great I am. And I just wonder today, I wonder if there are circumstances that maybe you're going through. Maybe things that are happening because of something that you've done. Maybe things that have happened because God's orchestrated them. Or maybe they're happening just because, like I said earlier, the world is a broken place. Maybe God is allowing circumstances to happen, and I'm not talking about your own sin, just to be really clear. God never causes us to sin, and we need to hear that. No one fall into the trap of thinking that. He will never cause you to sin or to stumble, but he will allow the consequences for sin to surround us which aren't always pleasant, in order that we would see him for who he really is. Maybe the Lord is waking some of us up today to a different story that the world has to offer, saying that you can't save yourself. No matter how hard you work, what position you hold, how much money you have, whether you're married, single, children, no single, that he and he alone can save. Maybe we're going into the depths. So the first thing I just wanted to to clarify is going down can be a biblical principle. The second thing that I want to talk about today is discipline. And discipline, I just want to say underneath it, I've, I've put, is not a dirty word. I want to bring some restoration and some hope and joy to the word discipline. Anyone excited here for a bit of discipline? Some of you are like proper military. You're like, yeah, I love discipline. Yes, sir. And you know who you are. Um, discipline is not a bad thing. I want to say Jonah's prayer comes from the belly of a fish. He, he's, he's gone from one watery prison to another watery prison, right? At first glance, you can just sort of be like, well, Jonah's sinking in the sea. He cries out to God and God sends a fish to swallow him. And you're like, yay! I wonder if on day one, bearing in mind he was there for three days, I wonder if day one, Jonah sort of sat there thinking, this is amazing. God, I never realized how good salvation was. Being in the belly of this fish, it's everything that I dreamed of right? He's there for three days. Now, whilst he gets to this place where he's saying salvation belongs to the Lord, he recognizes, God, you sent the fish to save me. There's something that's going on here. And I want to just make this point today that sometimes when the grace of God comes to us, it restricts us for a season. That doesn't feel right for some of us because grace should mean open space for us to run into. Right? Sometimes the grace of God restricts us for a season and it's by the love and the grace of God that it does so. This moment that Jonah has in the whale for these three days is absolutely vital to the continued change of his heart and the restoration to relationship with God. It's in the belly of the fish that he comes to a place where he says salvation belongs to the Lord. What happens when salvation belongs to the Lord is spoken from his lips, he's vomited out onto dry land. We'll see that at the end in a little bit. But this process is a process that sometimes we want to just skip over. 
We don't want to turn into this moment. We don't want to turn into restrictive moments in our lives because it could be painful. It could feel a little bit awkward. It could feel a little bit like we're, we're filled with a bit of shame or, or whatever it may be. And we sort of just, we reject that. It's like, no, we, we don't want to do that. But I want to say this, that it's part of the process for Jonah and an incredible part of the process where God gives jo Jonah an opportunity to do some deep work with his God in heaven. He restricts him for three days. He, he didn't have to do that. He could have sent a speedboat. Would have been weird to read, but he could have. He could have done anything. He could have just transported him from the sea to Nineveh, like that. But he chose a fish, and he chose to restrict him for three days where some deeper work started to happen. See, previously, we have to remember to the fish coming, Jonah's crying out for help in the sea, yeah? But remember, he didn't pray for the sailors. You know, when the storm hits the boat, he's, he's, not, he's not crying out to God then. He's not crying out to God, God, save these people, they're innocent, it's me, save the innocent people. He's not praying in that moment. He wasn't praying for the Ninevites when God came to him and said, listen, I want you to go to this wicked city and bring salvation, bring good news to this city. He's not crying out to God then. He cries out to God when he's sinking into the depths of the sea. It's a, a self-centered prayer in many ways. He's saying, God, save me. I've got nothing left. Save me. And God in his grace does. He does. He meets him as he's sinking into the depths. He comes and he meets him, but there's a deeper work that needs to happen. And, and church, this is where the true miracle happens. Don't miss that in this story of Jonah. The miracle isn't the fish. It's not. I mean, it's pretty extraordinary, but it's not the fish. It ain't. If you weren't here last week, you missed out. It ain't about the fish. This is the true miracle. A heart that was filled with pride and self-sufficiency is changed in the belly of a fish and turned back to a holy God who is saying, Jonah, you're my child, come back to me. That's the true miracle. That's what happens in the belly of this fish. See, often... After we go down, down, down into the depths, there's this moment where we do feel restricted and hemmed in. And I want to say this, church, please hear me. If you're in a season of restriction, we need to grasp that it may well be, not always, but may well be part of the loving discipline of God. Say it again, discipline is not a dirty word. We live in a world where the culture right now would say, you can't tell me what's right and wrong. We live in a world where there's hostility towards the church, where the subjects that the church has maybe got a voice into is seen to be oppressive, restrictive, maybe even controlling. Why? Because it doesn't allow the individual to define and grow their own moral compass. Emmanuel, guess what? We're not meant to grow our own moral compass independent from God and his people. That's not what we're meant to be doing. We're meant to be a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and wrestle with the word of God to find moral direction in a world that is broken and far from him. It says in the scripture, doesn't it? It says that the, the word of God, the Bible, is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness 
so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, church, it's okay sometimes for you to read the Bible and feel uncomfortable. You know, it's, it's all right for you to read the Bible and feel challenged. It's okay for a brother or sister to take you out for a coffee or a beer or a glass of wine and say, do you know what? That thing that you did the other day, I'm not sure that that's in keeping with what God wants for you. You know that thing that you said? I'm just not sure that that's what we're going for. Can we talk about it? It's okay for us to be challenged. It's okay for us to be disciplined. In fact, it's imperative for us to be disciplined. What would business, some of you, you guys in business, men and women, what would your businesses be like? What would your schools be like? What would anywhere that you work be like without reflecting a little bit on what's wrong and putting it right? Where would you end up? You'd, you'd absolutely hamstring yourself. And yet we live in this culture where, and, and we have to accept, church, that we've, we've ended up in this place ourselves as Christians as well, where we're like, you don't get to tell me what's right and wrong. Now, I'm not, I'm not sort of inviting myself around for coffee. Don't worry. It's, it's cool to like, point out all the bad things. I'll reverse it. I want to say this. I've got men in my life that have got absolute permission to say whatever they want to me whether it's about the way that I treat Vicky, the way that I treat my children, the way that I run my finances, the way that I speak, conduct myself. I, I want to be accountable. More than that, I want to grow. I want to become more like Jesus. And if that door isn't open for people to come in, if the door isn't open to discipline, then how can we grow? The Bible clearly says, if you go into to Hebrews chapter 12, reflecting on a, on a proverb, it's repeating the proverb and goes on to, to give it a bit more. It says, my son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. In other words, if we're starting to feel the discipline from God, right, and we've made it this sort of like bad word, if we're starting to feel the discipline of God, what he's saying here is be encouraged, because God disciplines the ones he loves. He disciplines his sons, his daughters. It goes on to say in verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time and seemed best to them. This is like a funny line for me. Like it's about parents and guardians. It's like they, they tried their best. <laughs> Keep going, parents. You're doing well. They tried their best. But he, this is God, disciplines us for good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I really felt like today that this is a really important message for us to get hold of in, in this age. I really believe that. I, I want us to, to, as a family, I want us to get hold of this and, and allow it to go in. Discipline, healthy discipline. Now, let me just give a caveat. Part of the reason the word discipline is dirty and we avoid it is because discipline can be bad. Okay, When discipline comes from rage, when it comes from anger, when it's out of control, that kind of discipline, we're not talking about that at all. We get it wrong as parents sometimes. I get it wrong as a parent sometimes, where I discipline and it, and it comes out from a moment of anger or frustration. And God forgive me for the times that I do that. But when you look at the Father, discipline doesn't come out of, of, of a God that's out of control. It's not like hurling out storms, like, where's Jonah? I'm going to smash him. That's not what's going on. Let me tell you this, that healthy discipline is a sign of a loving parent or guardian. Parents, some of you need to hear that today. <laughs> you, you, 
Some of you need to be encouraged today. I really just, just felt this in prayer. Be encouraged. Parents, guardians, those that are fostering, adopting, be encouraged that healthy discipline shows a young person, a child, that you care. See, what does the reverse look like when we, when we lose discipline? Mum, I just smashed every window on my street. Don't worry about it. Not interested. Mum, I'm going to this party tonight. You are right if I take a couple of bottles of vodka? Yeah, crack on. Good job. Mum, this really bad thing happened. Not interested. See, this discipline that's coming from God, right? The storm, the fish, it's from God. What, what's being shown here is that God is after Jonah, right? He's concerned with Jonah. Not to crush him, not to defeat him. Do you, why would he waste his time doing that? It's like, why would you do that? Just let him go. See you later, Jonah. He's after him in the best sense possible. The God of the ages is pursuing Jonah. And so healthy discipline shows presence in the life. Now, I know that can be a challenging subject for some of us because we've been on the receiving end of bad discipline. Okay, I get it. I really do. I want to say this to you. You can trust God. You can trust God. You're going to have to learn it. I can't, I can't just make you believe it in this moment. I tell you again, he is a good father. He does not fly off the handle. He's, he doesn't want to harm you. He wants to discipline you, like it says in this scripture, so that you can grow in holiness, so you can grow in fruitfulness. When he draws you close, when he disciplines, you can say, God, thank you. And yes, it's painful. I've been there, and I'm sure I'll be there again but it's good because we become more like Christ. Church, I just want to say to you today, like our, our young people, they need healthy discipline. We, we live in an age where parenting, honestly, I don't even understand some of it. Like, and obviously, there's <laughs> no surprises there in some way, I guess. But it, it's like, we, we need to help young people make good decisions. Guess what, children, the, the, the children that are out in all these different works, they're not wise enough to make the decisions for their lives. They're not. They need you. Our young people that are up in the youth work, they, they still haven't got to a place where they're wise enough to make decisions on their own. Even those of you that are in here, our teens, they need input. Not to belittle them, not to patronise them. They just need wisdom. Godly wisdom. I'm not just talking about experience, although experience will help. I'm talking about godly wisdom. I want to say to you, those that are parents, guardians, carers in this room, I've been praying for you. God bless you. Keep going. The, the role that the Lord has brought you into is a privileged role. It can be a lonely role. Talk to someone. Talk to someone. Be encouraged. Share ideas. For us, we... We talk, I'm not telling you how to parent today, but for us, we, we talk about consequences. So there's no punishment because Jesus has taken the punishment. We say, if you rebel against us or if you sin, there's going to be a consequence. And this is what we always say, you ask them. We say, your world's going to get smaller. They're rolling the eyes. Ugh. Your world's going to get smaller. It's going to be restricted. We're going to love you. We're going to cover you, but your world's going to get smaller. And then what we're looking for in that moment where their world gets smaller, whether it's a timeout, whether it's restriction from screen... Who would think, eh? Uh, if it's any of those things, then we're looking for the heart change. And the follow-up's so important then when we're talking to our young people, right? It's like, well, what, what do you think happened in that situation? Is there anything that you can learn from that situation? 
what do you need to do to put that situation right? Now, I'm, I'm not saying these things just simply to teach us how to parent because, crikey, me and Vicky, we need help, right? We all need help. But I want to encourage you that discipline is good. It can be a really good thing. It, it corrects, it, part, it makes a pathway that's really important that we get hold of as a church. And I want to say this as well. Some of you um, that sat here thinking, well, well, I'm not a parent or a guardian. I'm saying this to, to you. I'm saying our young people, our children, they need you, okay? Because our young people need adults that aren't parents speaking into their lives. Uh, and so please hear me when I say when we do like family gatherings, when we do Thanksgiving meetings and we pray for, for new life and we pray for babies and, and we sort of declare that we're going to be there for our children. Church, please, can we take this seriously? What we're depositing into our young ones is precious. It's not just like, oh, here's some nice ideas. If you know Jesus in this room, there is nothing more precious. You have what is most precious. Who are you going to give it to? Who are you going to give it to? Give it to a young one. Give it to a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old. Give it to a 13, 12-year-old. Give it to a 3-year-old. Pray, get into tinies. And as you hold those kids, pray for them. Pray the love and the blessing of God over them. Pray that our young people would wake up and see Jesus for who he really is. Discipline is good, right? Now listen, I'm not just speaking that discipline is good for young people. Discipline is good for all of us. Okay, so I've just gone on a little bit of a tangent because it's really important that we raise the next generation well, right? But discipline, you don't qualify when you hit 18. Sorry, students, you're still in it. Okay, I'm 40 and the Lord still comes to me and he disciplines me. There's still moments of restriction. There's still moments where I feel, God, I feel hemmed in now. I feel pulled back from what I thought I was doing. And you know what the Lord says? He says, okay, Ben, because you've got me. He says, there's some stuff that I want to teach you and we're going to go on this journey together. And to be fair, at 40 years old, and I said, no, I've still got a long way to go. I've learned a thing or two and I've, I've learned to be comfortable with that. It's okay. It's okay because my gifting and my calling is secondary to my relationship with my Father in heaven. He's more interested in what's going on in here with Ben Rowe than any platform or microphone that I can get hold of. I tell you that for free. I've learned it the hard way, church. You want to know it, I'll take you out for coffee and I'll tell you that story, and it is one. <laughs> it's a long one, though. But I've learned it, okay? Above gifting, above calling, he's after you. And he will happily happily keep you in a restricted place to learn that kind of stuff. Until the day you go to be with him, happily. Because he didn't need Jonah to go to Nineveh. He didn't. He could have asked anybody to go to Nineveh. I've already said that. He's more interested in the heart, the heart of Jonah. And I tell you, in that moment in the belly of the fish, heaven celebrated. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And, and the angels are like, he's got it. He had to go to the bottom of the sea and into a fish, but he's got it. He knows who God is. That's what he's after, church. That's what he's after in all of us. Are you with me, yeah? I don't even know what the time is. Let's keep going. <laughs> oh, dear. You got any pills? Any paracetamol? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Okay, he's like, you what? Just get a breather again, okay. Right, last D, deliverance. I didn't tell you that there were three Ds. Smashed it, thank you. <laughs> deliverance. 
Okay, verse 10 says this, and the Lord spoke to the fish. Anyone know anyone that can do that? The fish whisperer. That's who our God is, right? He can speak to the animals. <laughs> Legit. Why are you laughing at? It says it. It's here. And the Lord spoke to the fish. I want to know that language when I get to heaven. And it vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. Now, this is really important, church, okay? In the Bible, generally speaking, sea is bad, dry ground is good. Okay, sea represents death, turmoil, chaos. Dry ground is salvation, safety, and assurance. The fish, as soon as Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord, the fish is spoken to and vomits Jonah out onto the dry ground. Ultimately, I want to say this, and and you, you must not miss this. We must not miss this. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you've said yes to Jesus Christ, then ultimately, whatever storm, whatever discipline, whatever circumstances surround you, your feet are and will forever be on dry ground. Period. It's done. See, Jonah was a forerunner of Jesus. Jonah went into the depths of the sea, thrown by the sailors. Jesus willingly goes into the depths of death itself. Jonah goes into the belly of a fish. Jesus goes into the belly of a tomb where the stone was rolled in front of it. Jonah was vomited out onto a beach. Jesus was resurrected to life, the triumphant king of kings, victorious over death and sin once and for all. If anyone wants to smile at this good news, you feel free. He's really alive, you know. It's not a joke. When we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to dying with him. That life that he lived, the death, the depths that he went down to, the resurrection that he went through by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we say yes to Jesus, we share in that. In a few weeks' time, when we do the baptisms, that's what we're going to be seeing. We're going to be seeing people that have said yes to Jesus. And as they go down into the waters of baptism, they're sharing in the death of Jesus Christ. And as they come out of the waters of baptism, they're sharing in the resurrection of Christ. You know what? At that moment, where are their feet? They're on dry ground never to go into the sea again, never to go into the chaos again, never to go into the destruction again. Why? Because Jesus paid it all for them. What it means, church, is this, is if you are a Christian, if you are genuinely someone that has said yes to Jesus and your feet are on dry ground, when the Lord comes to discipline and it feels like you're sinking into the sea, it's not like you've gone from the dry ground back. It's not, you've not lost your salvation. It's like maybe you've got into a pond or something. I don't know. And it's a bit icky. (laughs) It's not a salvation issue. You don't have to worry. He's not like taking you from the dry ground and thrown you back into the sea. When the discipline of the Lord comes, you can say, it feels like everything's closing in on me. It can feel like the storm's closing in, the weeds are around me, like it says in Jonah's prayer. But in those moments, you can still say, but it's well with my soul. Why? Because my feet are still on dry ground because the Lord still put my feet on dry ground and I will not and cannot be moved, not because of me, but because of him. This is where I stand. And so we can start to learn in maturity how to embrace the discipline of God because that's what it is. It is a mature thing to do. We don't like it. Stop prodding at my heart. Stop telling me what I'm not good at. None of us like that, do we? I mean, some of us are a bit twisted and we sort of, you know, but we don't. Most of us don't like that. But we've got to get good at that. We've got to get good at it. Because when the Lord comes, he comes to to grow us in holiness. 
to grow us in righteousness. Why? So that we can be fruitful as a people. And so it's okay. We can, if it comes from the Lord, we say, you restrict me, Lord. It's okay. I don't like it. It feels painful. I'm going to probably cry a little bit to my wife and to Stu. They're going to hear some stories. Katie's going to hear a few at work. It's going to be a difficult season. But it's going to bring me out. It's going to come with fruitfulness. And there's more to bring to the table. There's a guy called Horatio Spafford who knew something about the challenges of life. And we're going to finish with a song. Band, if you want to just come join me, I'm just going to fill you in with this. Now, I just want to be really clear. This, this, this backstory isn't the result of someone's sin, but the story of this man that wrote this hymn that we're going to listen to, and we're going to stay seated. The story of this man is a story of chaos, a story of, of, of just pain, storms of life. And you know, sometimes it's because of our sin, and sometimes it's just because the world is a broken place. This man, Horatio, is a rich man in Chicago. In 1871, he lost everything in the Great Fire. Lost everything. At the same time, his four-year-old boy died of scarlet fever. In, in a, an attempt to give his family a bit of a break and a holiday, he sends his wife and his four, four daughters to England. And, and whilst travelling back to England, the, the ship collides and, and sinks, 200 people died, including his four daughters. His wife, Anne, gets back to England and writes to him, saying, saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio immediately sets sail for England himself, and on the waters, the captain goes to him and he says, this is, this is it, this is, this is where the shipwreck happened. And it was in that moment that he wrote the first few lines of this famous hymn that we're going to listen to. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now listen, I am not underestimating what that man was going through. But the only reason he is able to say it is well with my soul is because he knows that his feet are on dry ground. It's the only reason. Whether the Lord has taken you into the depths right now, whether you're feeling restricted right now, or maybe it's just nothing to do with anything that you've done, but you're going through the most challenging times of your life, you can still say it as well with my soul because he's put your feet on dry ground. We're going to continue to hear, though Satan should buffet. In other words, if Satan comes to, to have a go at you, trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control. In other words, let the assurance of this truth control my thinking that Christ has regarded my helpless estate. He ain't talking about where you live. He's talking about your estate, your being. When God looks at you, he's not overly impressed. He sees a helpless, vulnerable estate, but he sees it worth dying for. That Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his blood for my soul. Do you know that he's done that for you? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. He hasn't saved you from some of your sin, not forgiven some of what you've done. He's done the lock, stopped the lot. Not going to use that phrase in church. He's done it all. The whole is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul.
Are your feet on dry ground this morning, church? Are they on dry ground this morning, church? As we listen to this song, we're going to stay seated. Hopefully you've already got your cup for communion. And I just want to encourage you, this is a meal that we take to remember Jesus. So do this if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, just listen to the song. But during this song, I would encourage you, take communion. Enjoy these words. If you want to sing along with them, sing along with them. Praise God that he's put our feet on solid ground. Amen. Thank you.